The Start On Demand. On Demand. Do we need an advertising campaign for something we already know? The province thinks so and has spent $173,000 on an ad campaign including 33 billboards to promote the fact that the PST is going down. Waste of your tax dollars or a wise investment? We continue our conversation on breast implants and health risks as we meet a Winnipeg woman who says she too has suffered many health issues in recent years but started getting better after she had her implants removed. Greg headed over to the convention center to talk to the masters of Flip, who are in town for the Winnipeg Home and Garden Show, and producer Kyle will lay the smack down on your senses when he sets up WrestleMania 35. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, and this is the Friday, April 5th podcast for The Start. Well, you've likely seen them on your drive to and from work. They're those billboards that are selling a well-known message. I think many of us know what it says. A July 1st drop in the PST. Now, the ad campaign, which also includes radio, online, and print, cost the government about $173,000. This morning, we're asking you whether you think that's money well spent or if this is perhaps more of a political campaign. Here are a couple things to consider. In Winnipeg, 22 of the billboards are in or on the border of Liberal Red or NDP Orange ridings or Independent ridings. 12 are in Tory wards, and that includes a cluster of six billboards that are in the Tory riding of St. James. It just switched from the NDP and the Tories in the last election, but that riding was just redrawn to include an NDP stronghold, Minto. As Global's Amber McGookin explains, the province denies the billboards are another signal of a looming election. You may have seen these billboards popping up around Winnipeg, boasting the Conservative campaign promise, and most of them are in current Liberal and NDP ridings. It's just a tactic for votes, and um, they're going to play the game the way they play the game. We see the board everywhere. It's better because somebody, they don't maybe, they don't check the mass media. I think it's better. NDP leader Wab Canoe says it's a misuse of taxpayer dollars. The Premier is using public taxpayer dollars to pay for what is clearly his election message. We know that this is what he's going to campaign on. He's spending public money to use it. That's the big concern. The province denied an on-camera interview but released a statement saying reducing the PST to 7% is an action of government that may impact the purchasing decisions of Manitobans. We think it's important to inform Manitobans the provincial government is keeping its promises. Adding the placement of the billboards was based on available space, not politics. But political scientists say it could be the sign of an early election. They're doing their fundraising and they're, they're trying to get their message out. So the advantage for the governing progressive conservatives as they they've got the government so they they're able to make statements about what the government's doing the election must happen before october 2020 amber mcgookin global news so also coming up the the premier has invited the leaders of the opposition to come to his office on monday and talk about election financing and so there's that added into the whole quagmire every time election gets mentioned it's like well are we in pre-election mode election mode and so that's i think these signs are adding to that well, you can speculate all you want. We've been doing that. It, governments always tout the things that they're doing that they feel are positive. And there's, I think there's no reason to expect they wouldn't 
advertise something that they promised they would do. They said they would do it as part of their election campaign when they got elected three years ago. So I, I think the bigger surprise would be if they hadn't been doing this. This is what governments do. They take our own money and remind us of what they're doing, all the good they're doing with our own money. But it is a little bit bothersome with regards to the placement of some of the billboards. I could see why some folks might have a little bit of an issue with that. Um, And one of our listeners also gave us a good lesson in math. Yes, the PST is dropping by one percentage point. It, It is equal to over 14% of a drop in terms of how much PST you'll pay when you do buy an item that has PST applicable. And I think that's an important message as well, but this is nothing brand new. Uh, Maybe the placements of of some of these billboards might be a little bit of a concern to some. Or the timing uh, and, and what's on the message. Like I think that the idea is that the government's often try to to share with you information that you need to know. And so do you need to know this or did you already know this or, you know, what, what's the point of it? The government said yesterday in a statement that I think it's important to inform Manitobans because they might be making purchasing decisions in the coming months. So if it was a big purchasing decision like a car, you might want to hold off until July 1st because you might save. I wonder how retailers save, feel about that message. Well, hold off on hold your off purchase. Your now, the other question, too, is the information that might needed to be known would be if I am a retailer, I do need to know that the PST is going down because I'd have to change my cash register or my till or all the rest, but there's no targeted messages to retailers. And there's, we asked if there's any sort of um, pamphlets going out or information for retailers. And that's not part of the campaign. This is just a general, the PST is dropping. So I, 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 it's to me, it's a campaign message, not a government message. Yeah. Because with a private company that puts up a billboard, I mean, I'm all for, if I believe if you want to make money, you got to spend money. So your private company, you put out a billboard, you advertise your product, you let people know that it's there. I think there is tons of value in that, especially uh, you know you're driving your car. It's almost impossible to miss those billboards. Mm-hmm. But what's the what's the end game here with these billboards? They're not a private company. They're not making money off of it. So yeah, it just seems well, to use your parlance, Greg, disingenuous. Well, one of our listeners says uh, straight up, Pallister needs to take those billboards out of his election budget. Another one saying NDP spent tons of money on huge, huge signs for projects they contributed to, way more than the Conservatives had. It's just called marketing. And in fact, that was part of the Conservatives' message or the Manitoba government's response yesterday saying, you know, in 10 years, the NDP spent some $34 million million on advertising. Um, That was their response to our questions. I'm not sure what those advertising campaigns were for, and, and we haven't gotten dug that deep into it yet. But sure, all governments advertise. The PST ads. And you've been seeing these billboards. You've perhaps heard some of the ads on the radio. They're all across Winnipeg, and they're basically simple. They say the PST drops to 7% July 1st. And that had some asking questions about the cost of this campaign and whether it was a government message or a political message. So the cost... About $173,000. The number of billboards and their placements is interesting depending on where you look. 12 are in Tory wards, and that includes a cluster of six that are in Tory ridings of St. James, which just switched from the NDP to Conservatives in the last election. But that riding was just redrawn to include an NDP stronghold. And so some are wondering, oh, maybe it was targeted placement for these ads. Well, we thought we'd get the Taxpayers Federation perspective on this one. Todd McKay joins us on the phone now. Good morning, Todd. 
Good morning. Thanks for having me. Well, just to set the table for everyone, we spoke to you about a month ago, just before we learned of this PST uh, drop, and your words were, it was like Christmas Day. So you're all, first of all, you're all in favor of this lowering of the PST from 8% to 7 Oh, man, there's no question about that. There's a question about the cost on these billboards, but in terms of the actual policy and reducing the PST, listen, I mean, Manitobans pay much higher tax than a lot of folks across the country. We desperately need tax relief. We've been pushing for that PST uh, reduction for a long, long time. So, yeah, we were really, really happy about that. Uh, in this case, uh, it's about the cost of the billboards. Uh, we've got some concerns, but the policy is amazing. Well, what, what, what's wrong with the, the government uh, celebrating something that they said that they were going to do? Well, the, the problem is they're celebrating with taxpayers' money, and it's just not necessary. Uh, you know, it's, it's interesting. The last budget that the, uh, the provincial government brought out, uh, there's a lot of good things happening in there, but we can't pretend that it's over. We can't be popping champagne and, and pretending all the problems are fixed and uh, good work for boys' uh, mission accomplished kind of a thing. That's not what's happening here. So, you know, we're still running a deficit of $360 million. We don't got money for, uh, for billboards especially ones where they're telling people something that's pretty obvious and they're going to see on every single receipt for every uh, single thing they buy. Uh, this is just not a good use of money. So, Todd, can you give us some context that $173,000? How many Manitobans does that affect? Yeah, you know, if you add it up, uh, the average Manitoba family, you know, making about $75,000, uh, or, yeah, $75,000 total income, their provincial tax bill is around $7,600. So $7,600 per year going to the provincial government. If you break that down, that's almost two dozen families. All of the taxes from two dozen families in Winnipeg to pay for those billboards. I would be shocked if you can find even one or two that will phone into your show and tell them that they're happy about uh, their money going to a billboard talking about the PST coming down. I definitely don't think you can find two dozen families that want all of their taxes going to billboards. It just goes to show this is a bad use of money. Uh, we've got to have fiscal discipline. We've got to have the government really being careful with money. This isn't being careful with money. Seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight. If you are one of those people that are pleased about seventy six hundred bucks of of your money, that's that's the average family. Uh, how much they pay the provincial government? Uh, if you're happy about your money going to these. Now we did hear from people, Todd, saying that you know what, what's the big deal? The NDP did tons of advertising and, and some it, some of it had zero message like the, the Spirited Energy campaign. What do you say to that? Yeah, well, I say the same thing to my kids when uh, when they say the other guy started it. Uh, that's, a, that's a really dumb argument. I mean, it was dumb when, uh, when the NDP did stuff like this. It's dumb when the Tories do stuff like this. It'll be dumb when the next government, whatever, whatever stripe it is, does stuff like this. Look, it's not new. Uh, governments spend money on dumb stuff. I, I don't think that's a, a shock to anybody. The issue is here, we've got we've to gotta rein them in. We've got to show some discipline. We've got to do better. And in this case, uh, you know, spending, you know, in close to 200K on billboards uh, pointing out the obvious is just not a good use of money. Todd McKay from the Canadian Taxpayers Federation joining us live on 680 CJOB. Todd, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. And that spirited energy campaign, I thought that was a dumb campaign, but I thought the music was really cool. Do you remember that? Come on, that's a good theme song. That, that makes me... That stirs. Amadeus, Amadeus, rock me Amadeus. Well, I never made that connection. <laughs> that's just what popped in my head. Really? I don't remember that music at all. Yeah, so I, I dug the music, but the campaign was lame, so that's enough of that. <laughs> 
tackling McGarry McNabb. Jeff Braun is here. Jeff Fortier. And someone pointed out to me something from the Winnipeg Reddit page yesterday where people just gathered to chat about stuff going on in the city. And someone posted, coming soon to a Tim's near you, less human interaction. And there's a couple of self-serve kiosks where you can punch in your order and you don't actually have to talk to a person. So I'm curious to know what Jeff Braun thinks about that. Love we'll it. get that in a moment. <laughs> and uh, we can confirm, Loren, you actually called the shop. It's the one on Goulet, right? Yeah, well, we were looking at the photos and, and Greg apparently has been to every Tim's in the city and he's like, oh, well, that's, that's the one on Goulet. Like, I... I <laughs> I don't know how, but he saw the kiosks, kiosks up against a brick wall. I was like, oh, for sure, St. Boniface. Yeah, you got to go check out Goulet. Well, and then, and then each we and every some... Tim's is pretty unique in the way it's designed. So. Are they? No. <laughs> <laughs> but I called, and the kiosks aren't up and running yet, but they will be, they think, sometime this week. And, of course, you're not serving your own coffee. You're not going up to then another line where you pour your own cup, but you will pay for your order and then pick it up at the counter. So, Jeff Braun, what do you think of that? Yeah, the, uh, the I've been using the McDonald's one for a couple of years now, and I just love it. So really, what do you yeah. like about it, or it's love just, about it? Just fat. Instead of standing in line with eight people, they got four of those things set up, and there's always one of them empty, so you don't have to wait. So it's faster. So it's efficient. Punch it in and away we go. And but, I've been reading actually that McDonald's, um, because of those, they they say that might be the reason why they've seen some upticks in sales and some of those places that have them because then people get to that. There's no rush. You're not feeling this pressure. You're combing through the menu like yeah. you would in a restaurant and people are ordering more because they're like, oh, a little side of this. Don't mind if I do. Well, what and also, interesting. you don't have to think about, oh, actually, you know what? I'll get two burgers. You just... So it just says plus, and you just hit the plus, yeah. and it adds another burger yeah. to your thing. So there you go. Later, yeah, like, exactly. Well, guys like Jeff and I who modify their food that all too. the time, you don't have to ask, okay, so what's on that burger? It lists out all the ingredients, and you can either take them off, or you can have half the amount, double the amount add of this, pickles. This, and, yeah. and so it, I think it's brilliant how McDonald's has has integrated this into their into their service style, and then they've also added the fact that they number the tables now at some of the locations, so they'll bring you out yeah. your food, or they have the little buzzers that'll remind you, or they have the tote board. There's a variety of different systems in place, and... I've long believed that the reason fast food places are seeing their sales decline is because they're ignoring their customers that come in store. And I think this is just a way, even though it's a little bit different in terms of the interaction, it's a way for people and encouragement for people to come in store. And they still have a... A regular till right. if they you do. want you to do that. The they just, but there's just one instead of, it used to be four, right? So right. Or yeah, ten. Would, yeah. would that bring up productivity up because there's more employees in the back actually making the food instead of having to, you know, serve people? I also wonder if it has to do with the drive-in. Like, how often do you go into a Tim's and there's a huge lineup in the drive-thru so you think, oh, well, I'll park, I'll go inside, and you get in there and there's a lineup inside because there's only one person dealing with the in-store traffic. Most of it's dedicated to the drive-thru, so that might help mitigate some of the like the backlog that you get there yeah because i when we you and i greg last year went to the tim hortons i can't remember the location you probably do but they were like you you helped out in the drive-thru you were one of like five people it was like a like an armada but yeah just over here on st james street as part of was the cookie day or or one of the camp day one of the one of the great initiatives that tim hortons does and oh my word i mean i've got some serious experience in the restaurant business i was exhausted by the time I got out of there, it was so rapid fire and the and the expectation of service and how quickly it needs to go and how everything is all set up.
set up. It's it's really quite an assembly line. Very well, impressive. Wasn't Tim's the place that held off forever on just letting you use your ATM, like your Interact card? Oh, big time. Right? And so like three years ago, you couldn't even couldn't even use your card. And now all of a sudden, it's like, do it yourself, people. Yeah, they I were still, waiting for the tap, I think. I still see the, say they need the special line for just coffee and donuts and nothing else. Yeah, I agree with that. How often do you get stuck in behind the line at Tim's where somebody's ordering like dinner for six or something? Well, that, 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 like that. that was me. That was me the other week. I was picking up uh, breakfast and like there's nobody in there except for one, <laughs> one other guy comes in after I finished my order and I had to make my order before they helped him out. So I felt bad for the guy. Yeah, you know what though? You guys listening to you guys, I I, I wasn't I wasn't sold on this. I I have used the self serve thing order kiosk once at McDonald's. It was the one on Regent, uh, just by the Canadian or near Canadian Tire near the casino, and I thought, well, this is kind of neat. But I I sort of like to talk to a person mostly because I generally know. Like, I think the value is that if you don't know what you want, then you can look at this thing and not worry about a line. But if you know what you want and you're not going to make any modifications or simple yeah. modifications, then you can just go up to the till and say, give me a Big Mac fries and a Coke and you're done. It it's depends a, how user-friendly those things are, too. Like, how, how often have you used the kiosk at the airport and then, it, like, it doesn't accept your passport oh, yeah. and it doesn't accept your, it doesn't print your baggage tag and then you're just standing there and the woman's like, you have to go back and use the kiosk. I hope and I you're don't like, need to take my passport to Tim well, Hortons I'm just now. saying, <laughs> some of those things, are, some of those self-checkout things, like whether it's at the grocery store or the airport or at Tim's, they're not are, they're, they're, they can be super frustrating oh, the airport sucks. to use. Oh. The airport one, I've, I've never had that work for me on the first try ever. Right. They just want to and talk get, to you, Jeff. I, I'm always excited. I was like, all right, it's going to work this time. And <laughs> do, 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 do. And then it's like, no. And then I'm like, raise my hand. It's like, can you come help me? It's so stressful too, <laughs> right? Because right? it's travel. You don't yes. want to get yourself in trouble and somehow. You, and you feel like you're going to hit the wrong thing. Like you're, you mean to go to Mexico and next thing you know, you're being sent like to Timbuktu and you're like, oh my God, I hit Timbuktu. <laughs> I guess I'm going there. How long do you think you could go, Brett, without a working cell phone? Oh, God. Hours, days? It depends on the context. If I'm on vacation, I would actually welcome that. Mm -hmm. But in the city, I lose my brains if I go five minutes without one. Okay, so there's some Manitobans who are struggling with their cell phones or perhaps more aptly their cell phone signal. They're Bell MTS customers, and as part of a planned change in service, a few thousand were told earlier this year that Bell MTS would be shutting down its old CDMA or 3G network and moving customers over to LTE. These customers were all given replacement phones, except it now appears those phones aren't working and neither are their old ones. Oh, boy. It all comes down to the fact they can't get a signal. Lorna DeVos is one of those customers. She lives in Fork River, Manitoba. I thought I knew my Manitoba geography. Never heard of Fork River. It's about 50 kilometers north of Dauphin. And she joins us now. Good morning, Lorna. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Well, thanks for joining us. Uh, surprised to be able to speak to you. Are you on the tin can and string this morning, or how did we manage to connect with <laughs> well, you today? I was going to say, we have a landline service, and it's, it, it, sometimes there's issues with that, too. So um, you've got this brand new cell phone that you got this week, but it's st- still no signal? You still can't get it to work, Lorna? Oh, no, that's still not working. To be honest, I don't ever expect it to. We have tried uh, other phones on the LTE system before the CDMA was shut down, and uh, the range always quit about, uh, let's see, 25 kilometers south of where we live. So it's... 
I'm not expecting this one to work as well. Are there some unique geographical features about where you live? Are you in a valley? Is there a giant brick wall that separates you <laughs> from the tower? What are you being told as to, as to why you're in this dead zone, so to speak? Um, we haven't been told anything about why we're in a dead zone, but what we do know is we are on some of the flattest country that there is in the province, so there shouldn't be anything blocking the signal. So you live in this rural area. I mean, like, you know, some people will say, okay, well, you have a landline, no big deal, but we all increasingly rely on our cell phones. What are your concerns when it comes to just traveling or safety or even the first responders in your community? Well, exactly. Our first responders are the most impacted because, um, I mean, we ourselves can't phone 911 if we see there's a problem. And even if somebody could, they also relied on that system. So they aren't able to communicate with each other. So the timeline in this year, your old phone, you got, when did you get the new phone? Uh, well, that arrived in March and my old phone was still working. So I didn't switch over until it had quit completely. And that was in uh, April 3rd. So April 3rd, your old phone quits. So you've, it's been a couple of days you've had to switch over to this new phone. What kind of phone is the new phone? It's an Alcatel uh, flip phone. Okay. It's, so uh, Yeah, it's it's of inferior quality to the, the ancient Motorola I was currently using. <laughs> but um, <laughs> if that's what it is, that's what it is. I, I did not ask for this new phone. It was unsolicited. But um, it came nonetheless, and since my old one wasn't working, I had it activated and worked with tech support from Bell MTS for over an hour, and uh, they had no answers for me. So now what? What have you been told to do next? Well, now it's basically just getting the message out and letting people know that the Bell MTS that had promised to take over all the, the customers from the former MTS has let some fall through the cracks, and we find it unacceptable. So how much do you pay for your service, and and was it acceptable under the CDMA system that was in place before? Tell us a a little bit about the the now versus then, uh, Lorna. Oh, well, it was was poor to mediocre at best uh, before, but at least you could move around a little bit, maybe a half a mile or a mile, and pick up a little bit of signal. and I pay just over $57 a month for that privilege. Sorry, how much? $57. $57 for a paperweight. Basically, yes. Because you're not doing... You know, to be honest, I understand supply and demand. Sure. And I, I, was, I was content to be able to communicate that way. Um, I mean, we would have all loved to have better service, but that's what we had and we were making it work for us. Lorna, I'm guessing you just use the phone as a phone. You're not doing email, or are you doing some texting on that phone, or is it just a, a um, straight yeah, talking device texting. when it works? We did use texting since um, the service was patchy before, so at least if you couldn't call, eventually as people moved around, the text would eventually get picked up. So so that was used. Um, but yeah, we were we were not surfing the Internet. We were not streaming videos. Uh, we were not turning the lights off in somebody's house, you know, on the other side of the planet. Yeah, you're not using apps or, or on your phone like the rest of us a thousand times a day. A day. Oh, gosh, no, I didn't even have a calculator. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it doesn't sound like you have much of one now. Listen, I can appreciate the frustration people might be going through. Have you ever gotten any answers as to when you might see improvements? Or is this just sort of a thing of you'll have to live with what you got? 
At this point, that's where we are. I haven't heard directly from uh, Bell MTS at all. Um, I have made several attempts at making contact. Um, unfortunately, all the people who answer the telephones or work in the stores are not the people who were responsible for making the decisions. So that leaves us at a sort of impasse. Lorna DeVos, Bell MTS customer with a dead cell phone. She's in Fork River, Manitoba, about 50 kilometers north of Dauphin, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Lorna, thank you for bringing this to our attention. Thank you very much for helping us share it. All right, well, we've been sharing with you about a number of women who are coming to us with their stories of breast implants and what they believe is really a serious connection between their implants and a long list of health problems. Yesterday, we shared with you the story of Nikki Carruthers. This morning, we want to introduce you to another Winnipegger who's speaking out about her struggles and hopes of helping others uh, deal with their own issues. Karina Lloyd got her implants over 25 years ago and says in the beginning she experienced some minor health issues, but in the past five years, they really escalated. Heart palpitations, blurred vision, muscle weakness, numbness to the side of face, and shortness of breath, I think just to name a few. Karina joins us in studio now to share more, and thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. First of all, let's just talk about that decision. You were 19 years old when you went to get it, and for you, it was really a part of a health condition for you. Tell us about that. Yes, I was born with a condition called Pollen Syndrome, and what that is is basically you don't develop the muscle tissue around the breast tissue to create the breast tissue. You need the muscle tissue to hold that fatty tissue. And so I never had that muscle tissue and therefore the breast tissue couldn't form on one side and the other side was quite small. So I always felt quite self-conscious and I always felt like not very feminine in my body. So at 19 years old, um, I went to my GP and said, you know, was there anything I could do? Not knowing anything about prosthetics at that time, but she said, oh, what about breast implants? And so it was recommended to you as a a perfectly safe procedure. Yeah, and then it was recommended to me that I should go through Manitoba Health because it was a medical condition. I could probably get it covered. Those two things um, and the meeting with the plastic surgeons made me feel like this was a safe option for me to choose. And did you feel that safety for the first few years after? Did you feel anything that made you think, oh, I don't know if this was a good choice or not, you know, with any potential health risks afterwards? No, I did not. I, I felt like I had this feminine body that I wanted and I was living a com- more comfortable life in my own body, I felt at the time. And so I just c- kind of went ahead with my life. I had these minor issues that came up. I never connected them to my breast implants at all. And I just kept living my life. So when did you start to think, oh, I, something something weird's happening? Well, it was about five years ago, like you said. Things just started really to fall apart. Um, I had extreme fatigue all the time. Um, mind you, I was a new mom, so I, I related all these things to being a new mom. And I uh, had a really stressful incident in my life. And I thought, well, all these things are adding up to maybe my health is deteriorating and I'm not aging very well. Um, But it wasn't until the last two years that um, I started getting the heart palpitations. I started getting numbness and weakness to the right side of my body. Um, Really bad dizziness. Not sure if I should even drive at points. Um, Brain fog to the point where I'd look at something and I'd go, I know what that is, but I can't think of the word. And that's the extreme brain fog that women with breast implants are talking about. And uh, visual disturbances, blurry vision, double vision hearing disturbances where I literally felt like I could hear every sound like to the max to the maximum volume 
it, it was disturbing. And having young children, it makes things really difficult to be a good parent when your whole body is falling apart underneath you. So at what point was there a connection made that it could be the breast implants causing your problems? Well, I would never have made that connection. I went to uh, five different specialists, my own GP, had all kinds of heart workup done, all kinds of, I had brains, three brain scans to rule out really bad, awful things. Thankfully, none of those were there. And it wasn't until a friend of mine came to me and said, hey, I read this thing on Facebook, and I wasn't on Facebook, I wasn't on social media. She said, what about your breast implants? And I said, oh, how is that possible? So she told me this story that she read on Facebook, and I was like, I have to research this. So I did. And the second I started researching, it was like the world started to come together. I got it. I understood what was wrong with me, and I needed to get them out. This week, I know you passed on a petition or a group of women, uh, Mm -hmm. about some 3,000 signatures, I think I saw at last count, sent a petition to Ottawa basically calling for better regulations, also for the idea of a registry or a place so we can start doing some research and find if there really is that scientific connection. I know you believe it. I know other doctors have come out and said for sure there is that connection. What do you want women to hear now? Sign up for this registry? How do they do that? Absolutely. So what it is, is if you go to Health Canada, there's a link on there. It's uh, called a health product complaint form um, and you need to go on there and fill it out if you've had any type of issues with your breast implants whether that's a rupture uh, capsular contractures um, slippage of the breast implants can slip sometimes or if you're experiencing uh, symptoms of breast implant illness all those things matter and Health Canada needs to know the idea is they have a better body work than to make a conclusion for the rest of Canadians exactly before we let you go, Kareen, I just want to ask quickly, you know, you, you made that decision when you were 19 for, for a health reason, mostly for you, but there's also a body image conversation out there. What would you say to women who are considering this now or, or men who may, might put on women that this is how a woman's supposed to look? I would, I would definitely say that the conversation of women accepting their bodies as they are needs to start happening with young girls and having them be okay with who they are in this moment in time and accepting that their, bo- their body's perfect just the way it is and not to conform to the, to the stereotypes of what a woman's body's supposed to look like. The breast doesn't equal femininity. No, not at all. Do you still ha- did you get the implants taken out? I did. I'm eight weeks post-explant and um, my life is 50% better already. Um, I lost 10 pounds in systemic um, inflammation all over my body. The transformation in just eight weeks has been amazing. I feel like I'm getting my life back. It's a bumpy ride. It's not a clean ride, but uh, it's a start, and I'm very, very excited about it. Karina Lloyd joining us live on 680 CJOB. She got breast implants 25 years ago, encountered some issues, and just got them taken out a few weeks ago and is on the mend. Karina, thank you for sharing this story with us. You're You're going to help a lot of people. Thank you so much. And tomorrow marks the one-year anniversary of the Humboldt Broncos tragedy. Yeah, Matthew Gmersic was on the Humboldt Broncos bus when it crashed 364 days ago. He was one of 13 people to survive the tragedy. He was the only person from Winnipeg on the team bus April 6th, 2018. The Winnipeg Jets and Chicago Blackhawks played their entire game the next night, April 7th, with 
the with Broncos in place of the name bars of the individual players on both teams. And I don't know if you guys, I'm sure you guys saw that. The site of both teams gathered at center ice pregame is an image, which if you saw it on TV or in person, you will never forget. 13 days later, Gomersic was in Winnipeg at a playoff game. Here's Jets PA announcer Jay Richardson. Tonight, the Winnipeg Jets, along with our entire community, are thrilled to welcome home a member of the humble Broncos. Fans, please give a warm welcome to forward Matthew Gomersic and his family. Matthew played hockey this past season for the University of Ontario Institute of Technology, along with fellow former Bronco Bryce Fisk. Before his time in Humboldt, Matthew Gomersic played for the Steinbeck Pistons of the Manitoba Junior Hockey League. Paul Dick is the head coach of the Pistons, and he joins us now. Good morning, Paul. Uh, so many Canadians uh, reliving uh, what happened a, a year ago tomorrow, and, you know, uh, there's just something so important about recognizing this one-year anniversary. How are you doing with this a year after Humboldt? Well, I think, uh, like everybody else, I think you're correct. It's important to remember and recognize, and it certainly brought back, um, you know, a lot of chilling memories. And I think just, uh, you know, listening to some of the things that you guys were talking about in his introduction at the Jets game, and um, it was, it's bone chilling. And, then, you know, to, to see the support that they received, um, you know, at that time and then since then is, is – um, very heartwarming, but uh, yeah, there's a lot of very fresh memories that have seemed to have, have been stirred up. I know we went out to spoke with you, Paul, Global TV, uh, about a year ago uh, to talk just about the impact in the sense of you and your players board buses weekly in the winter, uh, sometimes every other day, depending on where you're going and, and the impact it has just of riding a, a bus now on many of those long road trips. Does that feeling still remain a year longer of just, you know, when you step foot onto that bus of what could be? <sighs> Well, maybe in the back of our minds. I mean, maybe that's always there. I'm not sure. But, um, you know, we had, I guess, I guess the good fortune that we were still playing at that time. So, you know, our, our series was delayed by a couple of days. But we, we faced that immediately following, you know, the incident where we were back on a bus. And uh, I, I remember, you know, all the emotions that were attached with that and the concerns. And But, um you know, I think one of you mentioned it earlier that, you know, life goes on. So the reality is that teams travel via bus. So, you know, we had to kind of face those, I don't know if they were fears, but um, um, the reality of that, we would be jumping on another bus. Uh, you know, had we made it to Annabit, which we did, we, there was going to be considerable bus travel. And, you know, we actually wound up passing through the, through that intersection as a team. So, you know, and this year we've, we've been on the bus. Our season came to an end, but uh, we probably took 40 bus trips this year. So, um, you know, outside of probably one day this year, we had some, some weather that wasn't very conducive for travel, and, and our trip was delayed on a highway for three or four hours. I think it was very, very fresh in everybody's minds during that moment. I think, uh, uh, you know, I heard a lot of discussion um, you know, from other from fans as well, and receiving text messages, you know, etc. I think just about making sure that we're we're extra cautious. Paul, I can still hear the the hurt in your voice, and 
And I know it's uh, difficult to, to maybe remember this time, but I, I'd like to celebrate a little bit as well. I don't know. I'm, I'm guessing you've seen the video of Craig Cunningham, the former NHLer, who's uh, skating with the help of a prosthetic. He, of course, suffered a heart attack uh, when playing uh, for the Phoenix Coyotes or against the Phoenix Coyotes um, farm team just over a year ago. And then Matthew coming back and, and, and playing this past season at the University of Ontario Institute of Technology. Uh, We've learned how important this story has become in terms of regulations on the highway and uh, what we'd like to see in terms of safety on on buses and other public transportation. But we've learned so incredible, so incredibly how connected Canadians are to hockey and how it inspires us. Yeah, it, it really is. I think anytime there are tragic events, there are just incredible, inspiring stories that develop from them. And you know, we've seen time and time again. There are just there are so many here and, and in our game, and you know, the Cunningham video is just just amazing. Uh, but you know how resilient uh, the human spirit is, and how Canadians. I you know I don't even think we limit it to Canadians as the world has really you know rallied around uh, Humboldt and the hockey community. People that aren't even hockey fans have, um, you know, been touched by this. So, um, you know, and to see Gummy, uh, you know, push forward, um, you know, the strength that he exhibited and, you know, and leaving the province and pursuing his education and continuing to play the game, I think that was all part of the healing process probably as well. I know he's received a lot of support in Ontario, so... You know there are there are a lot of incredible stories and, and inspiring ones that have developed, and, and that's often what takes place when when uh, tragic events occur. Is there anything that's a lasting um, legacy for you, Paul, or something that you, that you know you've learned from it, or you're trying to carry forward? As we try to not to look to the past so much, but move forward. Is there anything for you that stands out that you want to try to do, perhaps with your teams or in your own life? Well, I, we had some some very um, in deep discussions in our room, I think it really opened up a lot of dialogue just in, in terms of expressing our feelings and, and how we care about one each other or for each other. And, um, you know, really to cherish each day. Sometimes as hockey players, you're, you're always looking towards that next thing, the next goal in your life. And, um, I can't wait till I graduate from junior and move on to college or hopefully become a pro one day. And, you know, we really talked about, you know, cherishing the moments that we're, we're currently involved in and, the people that are around us and um, you know, it, it was a very emotional discussion and I, I didn't um, want it, you know, it, it's tough to carry that all into the next year because we have a whole group of, you know, half of our team uh, gets replaced each year virtually. So, but I think for us as a staff to remember that, that, um, you know, we play hockey, but uh, largely there's, the human component there that we that we can't forget and I think we really grew closer as a group after the incident um you know we happened to be in the championship series and I think you know our group was very close as it was but we became a lot closer after that yeah so I think just to remember that to um you know we're, we're, we're family and we need to take care of each other a lot of these guys are away from their parents so it's just maybe um, you know, I think maybe once again, we just saw how, how important our role was as coaches. 
Paul Dick is head coach of the Steinbach Pistons of the Manitoba Junior Hockey League, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Paul, thank you very much for the time. Yeah, my pleasure. And we have full special programming tomorrow on 680 CJOB. From 11 until 12, we will have a one-hour documentary. From 1 until 4, Joe McFarlane of 770 News Talk in Calgary will be sitting in for Roy Green with Humboldt-focused programming. And then from 5 until 7.30, Hal Anderson and Kelly Moore will co-host Chorus Radio Network's live coverage of the one-year anniversary, which will be held at the Memorial at Elgar Peterson Arena in Humboldt. The Masters of Flip are at it again with even higher stakes and stunning transformations. The husband and wife team, Courtney and Dave Wilson, breathe new life into old, rundown Nashville homes. Season 4 of their HGTV program debuts next Wednesday night at 8 o'clock. Flipping houses together has gotten even tougher. It's the new Nashville, baby. It's a new scare the hell out of me baby but we love taking a bit of the past this sink is the only thing worth saving and giving it a shiny new future i love you so much for saving that wood oh thank you there's a little halo of restoration above your head (laughs) there are big risks that's the most we have ever paid for that is insanity to me and even bigger problems what the hell happened i'm just gonna have a quick cry in the car and then get back to work okay But we have huge dreams. This house has the potential to be a showstopper. This one could be our biggest flip yet. And getting there is half the fun. (laughs) (laughs) Join us for all new episodes. Well, why don't we get you inside and you can show me the rest of the house, okay? So Courtney and Dave are actually in our city for the Winnipeg Home and Garden Show at RBC Convention Centre. The show opens at noon today and goes through the weekend. But Dave and Courtney are actually with us live now, right along with our Greg Macklin, who isn't in studio. Greg, where are you? I am inside the beautiful RBC Convention Centre, of course, right on top of York Avenue, in fact. In fact. I'm and loving it. Are you with our lovely guests? Uh, yeah, they are. I'm just gonna look up their name here. <laughs> Dave and Courtney. Is it Wilson? Williams. Yeah. Oh, Williams. <laughs> I've got it, Wilson here. I'm I'm gonna go with my notes, Dave. Okay. I've watched you on television. So you know, just don't listen to anything I say. <laughs> you guys are fantastic. It's great to finally meet you. Welcome to Winnipeg. Thank you. We're glad to be here. Courtney, you are the queen of color. I'll gladly accept that title. You don't mind that? <laughs> Not at all. I think anything to shake it up a little bit in home design is like where it's at. So we're at the Winnipeg Home and Garden Show. And as you mentioned, Loren, we're going all weekend here. Opens at noon today. The show looks fantastic. And of course, outdoor spaces are such a big deal everywhere. But in Manitoba, we just get a few months every year to enjoy them. But that doesn't mean we don't go all in with our outdoor spaces. Because it's a few good months. Come on. It's fantastic. It's Winnipeg. So I truly believe it's funny you say that because nobody's actually at the home show. It's closed right now. And we're walking around. I mean, there is so much for everybody. But especially with this outdoor space, which as soon as the snow is off the ground here, <laughs> you guys will hit the road running. Um, I just months away. Yeah. Hards, <laughs> hardscapes especially. Like, I'm so impressed. You guys live in Nashville, but you're Canadians. We are. And you were a, a musical duo once upon a time. How did you find yourself flipping houses? Uh, s- survival. Necessity. Yeah, necessity. 
Uh, we lost our record deals, and which means all our income was gone overnight, pretty much. And so we had equity in our home, and we pulled it out, and, and our agent at the time suggested we start flipping houses. And we tried this one small one, and it worked. And then I retired my, my waiting tables gig, and uh, we've gone ever since. How many years ago is that? Well, our oldest is 15 years old, and he was about one, just under one. So about 14 years ago, we started flipping houses, which is crazy to us. And now we flipped over 125. So talk about, yeah, talk, talk about the change in the Nashville market over that time period. Well, it's kind of crazy because obviously we went in a, uh, through a recession right after we started flipping houses. And because we came out of that alive, we were like, okay, we can survive anything in Nashville. But the market picked up tremendously. So the problems are actually different now. Um, for us locally in Nashville, it's now competing with other people, other house flippers, other shows, other, you know, investors. Um, Nashville is one of the hottest markets in North America, one of the hottest cities. And so... That has been a struggle over the years, but we're not complaining because we love the growth of the city. What, what is what is responsible for that, Dave? For the growth of the city? Yeah. I think all the food. <laughs> no, lots of people have just, it's a great city to visit. And when you do visit, if you can move and relocate, because we've got a great medical industry, music industry, film industry. Um, it's a couple of good radio stations and uh, the Predators. And you never want to leave once you're there. Had to throw the Predators in. You don't, you have, you have a short memory, huh? Of what happened in the playoffs last year, game seven. I know it starts all over next week. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say too much too soon because last year was last year. And, you know, we're about to start kicking your butts again. Yeah. Well, if you say so. Out. <laughs> They're training. Have you been employing some of them and, and giving them the tricks? <laughs> we're going to do a Facebook Live here so folks can send in their questions. But the one question I wanted to ask you about, Courtney, here is about color. I introduced you as the queen of color. Jackie and I have been watching your show, my wife, since day one. And she's really had this epiphany with regard to color. And she's not as scared of it as, as she once was. We were kind of grayish, blackish, the hail navy. Yeah. That was our color palette. Thanks to you, pink, green, wow. yellow, anything is on the table. What do you love so much about color and why is it necessary? Why is it necessary? Well, first of all, there's a place for everything and there's still a place for the gray on white and slate on navy, navy blue. I love it all. Um, but the thing about it is, is we don't want every house to look that way when we're flipping houses because there are lots of different buyers and different buyers are into things. So for me, if you're, when I'm talking to somebody who's really scared or a little bit nervous about implementing color, Think of it as just like one element. So adding one wall or one ceiling or doing all the walls white and interjecting color through all the accessories, bright furniture, big velvet, you know, a big velvet orange sofa or something. And then it doesn't seem so daunting because then you can take it out. You can sell it. Um, but for me, it's just about interjecting personality and making it fun. And when it's done right... And that's the difference. When it's done wrong, it's like, oh, my gosh. It's like somebody threw up all over the house, you know, a big crayon box. But when it's done right, oh, it's so appealing. Dave, what's the one thing that you think you have to do right in terms of what's in the house? Uh, bathrooms and kitchens are still a big deal, and that's not about to change anytime soon, I imagine. Absolutely. And what I, my main goal is to listen to Courtney, follow her direction and her plans. Um, but, no, kitchens and bathrooms – we spend a lot of time focused on those and make them the best we can and lots of open cabinetry and space. And yeah. 
The thing about it is if you only have money for one major renovation, the kitchen is the one because people don't want to actually take on that renovation themselves. It's daunting. So if you can do it right, sell the house, that is going to probably um, retain the most value. Guys, I'm uh, really lucky to be hanging out with two of my faves. I feel like I've known them for a long time. You probably do too. You can meet them down here at the RBC Convention Center. And we'll do our Facebook Live coming up on the CGOB Facebook page in about 18 minutes' time. Right on, Greg Mackling. Thank you very much, sir, at RBC Convention Center. Again, the Masters of Flip, Courtney and Dave Wilson, are at the Winnipeg Home and Garden Show at RBC Convention Center. Season 4 of their HGTV program debuts next Wednesday night at 8 o'clock. And again, Greg will be on Facebook Live with Courtney and Dave coming up at 10 o'clock. So make sure you follow 680CJOB on Facebook. The world's biggest sports entertainment company is celebrating a huge anniversary this Sunday. With more, here's producer Kyle. According to the Google machine, the traditional gift for a 35th anniversary is coral. Truly, though, the greatest gift of all for most wrestling fans is taking place this Sunday. If anybody should be receiving gifts, it should be all the superstars giving me gifts, lining up, presenting them to me right here, right now. That's right. It's WrestleMania season. Oh, yeah. WrestleMania 35 happens Sunday live from MetLife Stadium in New Jersey. The 35th edition of World Wrestling Entertainment's version of the Super Bowl WrestleMania first took place on March 31st, 1985, live from Madison Square Garden. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to WrestleMania! Since its inception, over one and a half million fans have gone to arenas and stadiums across North America, including a record 101,000 at AT&T Stadium in Texas for WrestleMania 32. And while WrestleMania 1 back in 1985 was a single event, now there is a full week's worth of shows and events with promotions from the UK, Germany, even Japan descending on New York and New Jersey leading up to the big show Sunday night. It's a new day! Yes, it is! Now you might ask yourself, Kyle, why should I care about wrestling? Well, what does John Oliver, host of Last Week Tonight, think? Wrestling is better than the things you like. Seriously though, wrestling has always been a fantastic spectacle with predetermined outcomes. So you're more likely to get your money's worth at a big event like WrestleMania. And at WrestleMania 35, even though there's no Undertaker, oh, yes. and more than likely no John Cena, there will be some big names that even you might recognize. First up, Kurt Angle, a former Olympic gold medalist and WWE Hall of Famer, is having his retirement match. Former WWE Champion AJ Styles is squaring off against Randy Orton, son of former WWE Superstar Cowboy Bob Orton. Here comes the money! Here we go! The Miz, who you heard earlier, is taking on Shane McMahon, son of WWE CEO Vincent Kennedy McMahon, in a Falls Count Anywhere match. There's an Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal, which will feature Braun Strowman, the Hardy Boys, and Colin Jost and Michael Che from Saturday Night Live. I don't have enough time to explain that one. If I'm fighting in the Battle Royal, so are you. Che's in too. Triple H, son-in-law of Vince McMahon, is fighting Dave Bautista, better known as Drax from Guardians of the Galaxy and the upcoming Avengers Endgame movies. Humility. I like it. I too am extraordinarily humble. 
Seth Rollins will challenge former UFC heavyweight champion Brock Lesnar for his WWE Universal Championship in the semi-main event. And for the very first time in the 35-year history of WrestleMania, the women's division will be the main event. Irish last kicker Becky Lynch will take on former UFC champion and current Raw women's champ Ronda Rousey. And Charlotte Flair, who is the SmackDown women's champ and, of course, daughter of the one and only nature boy Ric Flair. You're talking to the Rolex wearing, diamond ring wearing, kiss stealing, woo, wheeling dealing, limousine right, jet flying, son of a gun, woo! That is only half of the scheduled matches on the WrestleMania 35 card. Seriously, they're 14 matches, so bring snacks. If you want to check out WrestleMania 35, head over to WWE.com. You can get a free month of the WWE Network to watch the show, or go visit a friend who loves wrestling. They'll be watching. Just be careful if they offer you a folding chair. So that's it. Enjoy WrestleMania. Enjoy the WrestleMania weekend, and don't try this at home. For Global News, I'm producer Kyle. Is that still a thing? The folding chair? Yeah. I think they actually banned headshots with the folding <laughs> chair. Like, as long as it doesn't hit you in the head? Yeah. I think so they can probably hit you in the back, uh, which is typically what they do, because they, 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 if they hit you square on the back with a the chair, then it, that minimizes the impact. Uh, like Those wrestlers are trained to land f- as flat on their back as possible to absorb as much impact, so mm-hmm. when they hit them in the back, then it's not so bad. But I think it's... I haven't followed wrestling for a while. I went to WrestleMania X7 in Houston, which was one of the best uh, experiences of my life, but the fact that they have the, the women as the main event is so Very cool. Very cool. Because there was, for a long time, women, like, they had their bra and panty matches. Like, they were basically a sexualized a side gimmick. sex show, yeah. Yeah, and over the last decade or so, I guess 15 years, really, the, re- they, the wrestling has gotten better. But in the last five years, they've really pushed the women's wrestling. And I think it's great because there have been so many. It always made me sad when I would see the talented women wrestlers who were actually good at it, who weren't just there because they were hot, but they were degraded to, you know, no, you got to put on your bra and panties mm-hmm. and go out there and show your stuff. Well, I'm going to show my stuff to producer Kyle Milroy. I'm going to go find a folding chair when I get out of here after the show's over. So thanks for putting that piece together, Kyle, but watch out. Yeah, watch out. Folding chairs cab. coming for you. She is on the rampage. <laughs>